Well, good morning, everyone. And if you're visiting with us, I just want to say welcome. We're, we're glad that you're here visiting with us. My name is Dan Kelm, and I'm the uh, site pastor for our Kewaskum location of Kettlebrook Church. Uh, and for any of you who've ever had a, uh, a close-up conversation with me, I imagine uh, you will have noticed something. Uh, I, I have very bad teeth. Uh, now, you'll, now you'll be looking. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're they're decent shape for not having had braces, but um, but but by themselves, like they're they're just not, not in very good condition. Um, and, and I think um, you know, there's I've got a lot of fillings. I've got uh, I've got two of them that are fake. Well, actually, it's one and three quarters. Um, but most of that comes from a, a bad combination of, uh, of bad genetics and poor tooth care when I was younger. And, uh, and actually, it's that three quarters part that's got an interesting story to it. Uh, but I want to get to that a little bit later uh, because I first want to tell you a little bit about this new series that we're kicking off. And I'm pretty excited about this. And we're kicking off a new series called Life on the Vine. Uh, and in this series, we're going to be looking at uh, some of Jesus' last teaching to his disciples that we see in John 14 through 16. And one of the reasons that I'm excited for the series uh, is because we're going to be exploring some new elements in, in the gathering. And, and some of these going to be, are going to be more experiential, kind of like our time of, of kind of dumping off sins and worries and anxieties and distractions at, at the cross here. And, uh, and some are going to be a bit more traditional and liturgical, sort of like our a call and response uh, prayer that we just did. Um, and then the other reason I'm excited about the series is because it runs the r- duration of Lent. Uh, and, and it gives us the opportunity to experience and celebrate uh, the, the Lenten season together. And so for the folks that attended our, our Ash Wednesday service that we just did, uh, they heard that the season of Lent always has had the purpose of self-examination, self-denial, and repentance. Uh, and, and really, it's as we prepare our hearts for Easter and the reality of the resurrection and the meaning that that has in our lives. Uh, and it's in that self-examination part uh, in the season of Lent that allows us to ask really some kind of serious questions of ourselves. Uh, does it feel like life is spinning out of control? Uh, does it feel like other things control both you and your schedule? Uh, does every day seem to to bleed into the next kind of living, leaving you living for the weekends? Uh, I know just the other day I, I must have kind of just been staring off, and and Sharice asked me like what was uh, you know what was going on, and and I just remember being like ah oh, sorry yeah I'm okay I'm just I'm just preoccupied, and I think I said something like yeah I'm just thinking about the next thing, and then the, the next thing after that and the next thing after that. The season of Lent is meant to be a time to pause, a time to stop amidst the craziness and let go and surrender to the Lord to remember that he is everything and that any part of our lives that are lived apart from him will also ultimately remain shallow and without purpose. And it's an opportunity also to, to break some negative rhythms in our lives and maybe even adopt some new ones um, and to contemplate our mortality, life, life and death. Well, the year was 1995. Uh, I was 16, and uh, my cousin Ben and I had just seen the movie Braveheart. I don't know necessarily why they let us in, because we were 16. That's uh, rated R. Um, but it was an, it's an awe-inspiring movie. It, it, has really po- it had a really powerful effect on us, and it's got uh, strong characters. Uh, it's deeply moving, and more than anything, uh, you just kind of get wrapped up in the story because everything really matters. It's the stakes 
are incredibly high. It's life or death. And so there we were, my cousin Ben and I, um, after the movie in my basement. And uh, Ben had some kind of a broom handle or, or a thick piece of wood. And I had a, a weight bar that was meant for doing curls. And uh, and we were just like, dude, could you just imagine like what that would have like been like? And we're like, then we're like, wait a minute. It wouldn't have been all like fancy sword work. It, it probably would have been like you'd just be rushing at the enemy and whoever had the first best move would win. And, and so we reenacted it in slow mo and we're like, you know, and, and since it was in slow motion, I remember what happened. Well, uh, we just kind of went with where the momentum was taking us and it took my weight bar right up and in my tooth. This one. <laughs> and, uh, just broke it right off, three quarters of it, and just left me with a bloody stump. <laughs> and uh, we were like, oh, no, because we were still in slow motion. Um, and so then after the shock wore off and the apologies had been made and my parents had been told and a dentist trip was planned for in the morning because it was, you know, Ben and I, we just laid there in my basement because it was a sleepover and it was like one in the morning. And... Uh, we were just like, wow, like if that was like a real battle, it wouldn't just be a tooth, it would be life or death. And I was just telling my daughter, Aria, this story, and at the end she started just rubbing her mouth and she was, she was like, owie. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm like, sad, sad choices have sad consequences. Uh, and I'm not sure, but I kind of wonder if she was thinking about the permanency of, of having broken a tooth. Um, and I know for me, all those years ago, how my tooth in a movie got me to contemplate my mortality got me to contemplate life and death. And contemplating our mortality isn't a bad thing. It's part of the self-examination, this path of self-examination that that the season of Lent uh, leads us in as it leads us toward repentance. And like I mentioned before, our our series, Life on the Vine, is going to be looking at uh, having us focus on John 14 through 16 uh, in the beginning uh, of the section, and what we see in that beginning is that Jesus and the disciples are kind of having this interesting scene where they're contemplating mortality. And we've heard part of it read so far, um, but I'd like you to turn there together with me. So if you have a Bible, uh, I'd like you to turn there. Uh, John chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14. And if you don't have a Bible to use, uh, by all means, feel Bill would love to bring one to you, or Justin, just wave at one of those guys. So John chapter 14, and that's on page 763 of those red Bibles, if you grabbed one of those. All right, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms If it were not so, I would not have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe in the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Let's pray before we jump any further into this. Father, we thank you for some incredible life-giving words, uh, words that we probably don't even understand the beginning of, or maybe just the beginning of. And so we ask that you would expand our capacity to know you, to understand what Jesus was really trying to teach us, that for each of us individually, Father, you would continue to reveal yourself and, and reveal yourself through Jesus Christ for us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things that's going to be a little bit different in this series is that um, our messages are going to be a little bit shorter. Uh, and, and traditionally, that's called a homily. And it allows us more time to use other elements in the gathering to experience God's word in unique ways. And so I'd kind of like to jump right in to, to what we see in this text. Uh, and, and just before this scene, what's happened is, is Jesus told the disciples how he's going to be betrayed and that he wasn't going to be with them much longer and, and that he was going away. And where he was going, they couldn't come. And I think it's kind of hard for us to put ourselves into their shoes, into that moment uh, and actually, it kind of made me think of how much my daughter, Aria, loves her mama. Uh, and, and she's been sick the last week. And, and when she gets sick, Aria, that is, uh, she gets all sorts of emotional uh, at night, more so than she usually gets. Uh, and so when, also when she's sick, she has trouble sleeping. She just like overheats and she can't breathe. And she wakes up and, and she, she just starts flipping out, like freaking out in the middle of the night. Been 2 a.m., about 2.15 actually, almost every night for the last week and a half straight. Um, and she just starts screaming at the top of her lungs. And does she ever cry out for Papa? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Mama, every time. And uh, do you know who the light sleeper in the house is? <laughs> this guy. <laughs> and so uh, I'm usually the first one up and in her bedroom trying to calm her down. And, uh, and is she glad to see me and not her Mama? Nope. Um, and, and then finally, when she's finally calmed down, finally, um, she just says in this weepy voice, I just miss my mama so much. <laughs> that's, that's usually the same line that I also will hear on Fridays when my wife works and, and I'm watching the kids. Uh, and she just loves her mama and her, and the thought of her not being there just breaks her little heart. Well, the disciples are heartbroken uh, to hear this news. Jesus isn't just leaving them. Uh, they're beginning to understand that he needs to die. Uh, and they're, as they're contemplating Jesus' death, Peter even offers to die for Jesus. Uh, they love Jesus. They've, they've come to love him in a way that they probably, that they probably never thought they could love someone. Uh, and, and it's because they've experienced the love of the Father through Jesus. And this is a dark moment as, 
as they contemplate mortality. Jesus' death and being ready to die themselves. And so Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe and trust in God. And so they should also believe and trust in Jesus. Jesus is going somewhere. And he's inviting the disciples and us on a journey. And on any journey, there's, there's really always three things that are required. Navigation, destination, and preparation. Uh, with any trip, we need to understand our navigation, uh, how it is we're going to get there. Uh, we need to know our destination. We need to be certain of where it is we're going. And there needs to be preparation. It's, it's about having what you need to sustain you on the journey. And so Jesus says, I'm going on a journey to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back to take you with me that you also may be where I am. And then Thomas's very practical question is, uh, how can we know the way to where you're going? And then Jesus answers with a phrase that I think is life-changing. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And it's here in, in these words that I want to spend a little bit of time this morning. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Which way? Which truth? Which life? Oh, I think we know that the correct answer for all of those is Jesus, but I think it helps us also look at the incorrect answer for all of these questions. Uh, so Jesus says, I am the way. Now, this is a question of navigation. Uh, if Jesus is the way, that means something or many things are not the way. There's a wrong way, a way that won't lead you to where you want to go, that won't lead you to Jesus. And the world offers many ways, uh, but these ways do not lead to Jesus. And Jesus offers a different way, himself. And he says, there is no other way. Years ago, uh, when I was doing student ministry, uh, one of my high school students told me uh, this brilliant story about how she kind of handled a, a charged situation with a student that was an atheist. And I don't, I don't recall if she was wearing a cross or maybe had on one of our youth group t-shirts, but this kid came up to her and is like, so you're a Christian? So does that mean since I'm not that you think I'm not going to heaven? And she said, well, uh, I believe that heaven is going to be where Jesus is and it'll be spending eternity with him. So if you're not pursuing Jesus, then no, I don't believe that that's You'll, that's where you'll be or that you'll, you'll be where he is or that you'll spend an eternity with him. And, and this, this kid was kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> See, the way to Jesus is through Jesus, and it's a question of navigation. Where is Jesus? He says he's going to the Father, and the Father is in heaven, and so Jesus is in heaven. Where is heaven? Heaven is where Jesus is. And Jesus also says, I am the truth. This is a question of destination. If he says, I am the truth, that means there's something or many things that are false, that are not true. There's things out there that won't give us the answer that we're looking for, the answer we need, Jesus. 
for fun, right now I'm doing um, some family history and, and genealogy stuff. And um, as I've been kind of digging into some of uh, the mystery of this, I've kind of been looking now into the names of the, the birth cities where some of my relatives were born. And uh, it's in the old province of Volhynia. And if you haven't heard of Volhynia, I don't blame you. Uh, it, was, it belonged to the Germans and then to the Polish and then to the Russians and then to the Ukrainians. And so in all these kind of exchanges back and forth, the names of these cities ha- have changed. And, and so in this process, I'm, I'm trying to find the right cities. Uh, and, and some of them look similar, have near identical names, but they're just not the right ones. I won't, I won't find the right answers I'm looking for if I have the wrong city, the wrong destination. And just a few weeks ago, I was, uh, I was talking with James here, and, uh, and, and he said how in a lot of his discussions, what comes up is, is this question comes up of who is God? And in the first part of the answer that he gives is, is that it's not, a, it's not a what, you know, it's not, it's not a some, God is not a something, but a someone. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. Jesus leads us to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus leads us to the truth and is the truth. Any other idea or religion or concept is the wrong destination. And Jesus says, I am the life. This is a question of preparation. Uh, because it's about having what we need. If Jesus is the life, that means that there are other things that bring death. Spiritual death, physical death, and eternal death. Uh, but in a twist, Jesus offers a, us a path that starts with death but leads to life. It starts with his death on the cross for us, and it includes our death, dying to ourselves to lead us to life, life found only in him. I don't think about my fake tooth that often. Uh, and in fact, I almost always forget about it. Uh, and, and sometimes when I get like real close up in the mirror, I can just make out that, that it's there. Uh, and, and sometimes it, it brings me back to that moment of laying there in the basement, contemplating mortality, uh, questioning death, savoring life, in a world that gives us so many false things to live for and false things to die for, Jesus is the only one who is life. In terms of preparation, he is what we need. He's all we need. He supplies life, he sustains life, and he leads us to life. So we come back to the meaning of Lent, a season of repentance self-examination, and self-denial. For repentance, Jesus says, I am the way. Have, have we been going the wrong way? You know, we need to repent and turn. It's a question of navigation. For self-denial, or for self-examination rather, Jesus says, I am the truth. Have we been believing or trusting in something false? We need to examine our lives. It's a question of destination. And then for self-denial, Jesus says, I am the life. Have we been living for ourselves? 
We need to embrace Jesus' death and die to ourselves to discover the resurrection life found in Christ. It's a question of preparation. Jesus is inviting us on a journey. It's a journey to himself and a journey through himself. And he promises amazing things that will happen along the way. Because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Let's pray together. Father, we know from Jesus that we are invited through him to you, to him. And we ask, Lord, that you would begin to work on our hearts, to have the desire to walk down that path, to have the desire to uh, be willing to self-examine where we're not following you, to repent from the ways that we aren't, um, and to, to deny ourselves of those places that we just don't want to. It's only by your Spirit that we can even desire these things as well as have the power over them. And so we ask in the name of Jesus that you would work in us and work through us as you lead us to Jesus, through Jesus. And we'd recognize his words as life and we would seek his heart and his passion and his purpose and his mission that our lives would begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things we want to do now, you'll notice the lights are a little bit lower, is we want to take some time to meditate on the Word. Uh, One of the spiritual exercises developed by St. Ignatius in the 1500s was imaginative meditation on the Word. And we take time to silence our hearts and minds and imaginatively place ourselves in the gospel. We accompany Jesus through his life by imagining scenes from the gospel stories and placing ourselves there. Meditating on the word through our imagination isn't just about um, thinking about a gospel scene. It's, it's really asking the Holy Spirit uh, to make us present with Jesus Christ in that moment and, and to make his words directly meaningful to our lives right now. Uh, and as we read through the text, I want you to use your imagination uh, to, dig, to dig deeper into God's story uh, so that God may communicate with you in a personal and evocative way. And so you're welcome to, to bow your heads or to close your eyes Um, or to take really any position that allows you to kind of engage uh, God's word in this imaginative way. And so let's, let's start with prayer together. Holy Spirit, we want to engage the life of Jesus in a unique way, and we ask that you would lead us through the living word to the presence of Jesus. First off, I want, I want you to put yourself there. 
You're sitting around the table in the upper room. It's night. There's only the light from oil lamps and candles. It's been a whirlwind of a night. Jesus led the Passover meal. He talked about his body and blood being broken and poured out. He then got up and washed everyone's feet. And then Judas was accused as a betrayer and quickly left. And then Peter was accused of going to be denying Jesus three times within this very night. The mood is dark. Everyone's uncertain and scared. You hear Jesus say, don't be troubled. Trust God. Trust me. I am leaving, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come back to take you with me. Next to you, Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Clearly, you hear Jesus say, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Across the table, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You hear Jesus exhale. And he looks at Philip and says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You look at the face of Jesus. In him you see the Father. Your heart is moved toward worship. The mood is still uncertain and fearful, but you trust in Jesus and you hear him give you direction and mission. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Now I want you to revisit this scene uh, and this time to picture yourself as Jesus himself. You prepare the Passover meal knowing that you are the true Passover lamb. You wash the disciples' feet knowing you have come to serve and to show the disciples a new way. You've known all along about Judas but now is Satan's hour. You've known all along about Peter, but it doesn't make it any easier telling him he's about to fail. You tell the disciples that you need to go to the Father and you know that the road includes your crucifixion and death, but it's the disciples who are uncertain, the disciples who are afraid, and you love them.
you tell them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You know the disciples trust in you, but they don't understand. You hear Thomas ask about where you're going and about the way to get there. And you plainly tell him, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Philip asks to see the Father, and then that will be enough. You take a deep breath. And then ask him, don't you know me? If you've known me and seen me, you have seen and know the Father. Because the Father is in me and he works through me. Father, we pray to you now. We thank you for the opportunity that to engage your word in an imaginative way to be there. We know your word is living and active. And we can be present with Jesus. We can know Jesus. Not just know about Jesus, but we can know Jesus. Thank you for allowing us time to just put ourselves there, to hear you and to feel your heart and your words. We pray that our hearts would be moved to worship, to worship Jesus for what he has done and who he is. We know that he promises to be with us and in us. And so we pray that Jesus Christ in us would be glorified, that we would allow him to work through us, to, that we would allow ourselves to submit to his leadership as he leads us and that these more amazing things can be done through us, not for our glory, but for the Father's glory, for your glory. We know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help us understand those words. Pray this in the name of Jesus.